0: Monergist. Well, you're a five-point Calvinist. No, I'm not. I'm an Emeraldian. Labels. Labels, labels. Welcome to Understanding Christianity, a podcast hosted by myself, Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct professor. At Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity today. And in today's podcast, I I want to address an issue, and we're not going to dive as much into the Bible as we are going to look at some historical issues related to labels and how we call each other out when we're trying to defend our viewpoints. Uh, there's a lot of different terms that are used to describe a person's belief system. Uh, there's people who are called semi Pelagian. There are Pelagians. There are those who identify themselves as synergist or monergist or Arminians or five point. Calvinist or Amaraldians, which are four point Calvinist, or non Calvinist Southern Baptists, traditionalists. There's all these different labels that are thrown around when you listen to podcasts, when you go on different blogs, when you interact on Facebook and Twitter. And As as a bystander into these theological discussions, it may be a little overwhelming to understand why these labels are being used and if it's fair to use these labels and, and understanding these things. And I think sometimes we just throw out terms or labels and we want to label an opponent or label another person without truly understanding the historical context and the historical reality of how these definitions came about. And the reason why I'm doing this podcast is um, I want to interact with some statements made by the guys at the Bible Thumping Wingnut. Uh, podcast. I, from time to time, listen to the Bible Thumping Wingnut podcast, and I agree with a lot of what they're doing. It's a great podcast. They're Calvinistic in their theology. They're doing a lot of great things, and I really appreciate their ministry. And as you know, I've had a lot of interactions with Layton Flowers, who is a non-Calvinistic Southern Baptist. And Layton Flowers and I have had many podcasts back and forth, and I can tell you that Layton Flowers would not identify himself as an Arminian. He, wouldn't, he would say, I'm absolutely not an Arminian. And he would say, I'm not a Calvinist. I am a non-Calvinist Southern Baptist traditionalist. But unfortunately, the guys on the Bible-thumping Nut have labeled him as an Arminian. And so I think sometimes we are not quite sure in the Calvinistic camp how to label those who are not actually traditionally historically Arminian and they're not historically or traditionally Calvinistic they're somewhere in the middle and that's traditionally been what the Southern Baptist traditionalist non-Calvinist viewpoint or position has been for the last 50 years or so and so especially those of us who are Southern Baptist and those of us who are Calvinistic Southern Baptist we need to be very careful that we don't label others as Arminian or as semi-Pelagian, or as Pelagian, without fully understanding those positions. So what I want to do here is I want you to listen to a brief portion of the Bible Thumping Wingnut where they are answering a question from an email from a pastor on the issue of Arminianism. And they're specifically dealing with Arminianism, and they bring latent Flowers into the mix, and they call latent Flowers an Arminian, and absolutely he's not an Arminian. And so after we get back listening to this uh, interchange on the Bible-thumping wingnut, what I want to do is I want to give some historical definitions and go through the history of, of what actually is an Arminian, and what is a Calvinist, and, and how those terms are used in relation to a traditionalist non Calvinist Southern Baptist. So let's listen to the guys on the Bible-thumping wingnut.
1: Uh, He says, Reading the gospel section
2: of the website, uh, we are in complete agreement. Yet, in the few minutes when you guys take Arminianism to task, it seems you choose to do the same thing that Tony Miano does. Building a straw man to represent the position who I myself wouldn't identify with to say the consistent Arminians." Are man-centered and anathematizing him in the process. Hmm, Len, are you anathematizing the Arminian? Never. Well, the God. Con- God does not say you're saved through doctrinal purity; you're saved by His grace. But are you? Are have you been guilty of saying the consistent Arminian? Well, look. I mean, a consistent Armenian has to be an open theist.
0: There you uh, go.
2: He's pre- you're proving his point. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> yeah, I think you look, are. Look, we all we all have inconsistencies in our doctrine, right? We all speak do. for yourself, so, Lynn. <laughs> I have doctrinal <laughs> inconsistencies, but again, uh, where I'm thankful is that I'm not saved by doctrinal purity. I'm saved by the grace of God
1: so tim this is actually it's it's interesting the way it's worded because you're you're busting on me because i don't like using the term calvinism but this this comment this pastor has is exactly why um the terms calvinism or minianism are often not defined in such a way that the person who's holding to a position accepts and this is on both sides and so i prefer not using the terms that people think they know the meaning of uh, preferring to use something that allows me to define what I believe. And so that's what I prefer to do. The, the reality is, is most of us, I think he's right to, in a sense that most of us on both sides build man arguments and attack that. You know, what is a consistent Arminian? That hasn't been defined, right? I think Len is, is defining it as open theism.
2: <laughs> well, and here's why, uh, con- because the the consistent Armenian teaching uh, denies the total depravity of man, and it has to because they affirm libertarian free will or Leighton Flowers calls it calls it uh, contra casual or contra causal free will. I'm not, I'm never quite, never quite sure how he's pronouncing that. Oh,
1: there you um, go, thrown
2: out the Leighton Flowers reference. You just hey, to, uh, get him to listen. Late- Leighton Flowers is my friend. I think he knows that. Uh, so I'm not speaking ill of him or saying anything behind his back that I wouldn't say directly to his face. And by the way, Leighton Flowers in his attacks against Calvinism, his starting point is total depravity because he recognizes total depravity as the linchpin. It's the hinge that holds Calvinism on the door or in whatever. So, uh or the the hinge on which Calvinism swings is is total depravity, and so if you affirm an Ar, uh, an Arminian uh libertarian free will that says um man has essentially um the the opportunity to choose the contrary, the power of contrary choice, you can choose to worship or not worship God by virtue of your own, um, by your own free will. Okay. That, uh, is a, is a complete denial, for example, of Romans chapter eight and John chapter one. And so let me just, uh, I'll just read John chapter one, uh, the, the Arminian will want you to camp out on verse 12, but we have to move on to verse 13. It says, But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Well, see, there it says you have to receive. you Just like a gift, you receive. That's, that's where the Arminian will usually want to camp out. But what does verse 13 say? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what I would do where where he says he could easily construct a consistent calvinist straw man what I would say is let's let's forget the straw man and let's just go to the let's just go to the scripture let's talk about the golden chain of redemption in Romans chapter 8 and I would uh I'll I can actually link it to this podcast a a, a conversation Leighton Flowers had with our friend Matt Yester who is um well, compared to me, he, he's a scholar, he speaks the original languages, and he went through and walked through Romans chapter 8 to show that it has to mean, in its context, and Paul's original intent was that God chose man before the foundation of the, of the earth, not that man—God looked through the corridor of time to see who would choose him. So in a sense I agree. Okay, let's let's forget the, the construction. Let's let's talk about what your system actually says or what it is you actually believe and let's put them under the light weight and scrutiny of the scripture and see which one holds up scripturally. That's all I would say.
1: So are you saying that Leighton Flowers is an open theist or inconsistent Arminian? Inconsistent Arminian. He <laughs>
2: He is he is my brother. Again, you're not saved by doctrinal uh, purity; you're saved by God's grace, and he recognizes that. He says some things that are concerning. Look, he uh, in his interview with Matt Slick, he kept he kept saying that it was because of his humility. Yeah. And he, he, you know so there's some things that are like oh boy that's really concerning, but he affirms God's grace,
0: yeah. in salvation. So, so let's talk about Arminianism. Because Arminianism in its purest form really is in a minority view in the church today in evangelicalism. You find it in the Nazarene church, in the Wesleyan movement. Um, But really what I would argue is that most evangelical Christians probably are more semi-Pelagian influenced by Charles Finney than they are really truly Arminian. And so let's just talk about how this all started. Obviously, it was named after a man named Jacob Arminius. He was a student in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And he was a pastor in Geneva, later went to Amsterdam. And basically what he did was he taught this view of grace where... It, it was what was called a prevenient grace. And he disagreed with the Belgic Confession and the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. Uh, and so basically in Europe, in the the Netherlands and Holland and Belgium and what we call Continental Calvinism or, or the Continental Reformers, there were the um, Articles of Faith that were put forth by the, the Dutch Church. The Belgic Confession in 1561 and the Heidelberg Catechism in 1563. And so Arminius began to disagree with the tenets in those two statements of faith. And what he did was he began to, to, to um, argue against those, and then his followers later were called the remonstrants. And the remonstrants who picked up the the viewpoint of uh, of Jacob Arminius basically publicly and formally came forth with their uh, five Arminian articles. Uh, They were called the remonstrants. And so historically, you need to understand that the five points of Arminianism came before the five points of Calvinism. And the remonstrants were followers of Arminius, who argued against the theology of the Belgic Confession and the Heidelberg Catechism and believed that those leaned too far in the issue of monergism or too far in the issue of God's sovereignty and election and didn't allow enough for free will and prevenient grace. And so what happened was there convened in Dort in Holland what was called the Senate of Dort. And it was... Basically, 84 members, 58 were from Holland, the rest being foreigners around Europe from the Reformed churches. They gathered together to convene for the Senate of Dort. And so this synod lasted for a few years. It started in 1618. And basically um, lasted for, for a couple of years through sixteen nineteen so for two years they met and ironed out these details and basically what the Synod of Dort did was it gathered together all the great theological minds from Europe and especially from Holland to counteract the remonstrance the remonstrance said, listen the, the Heidelberg catechism, the Belgian confession the the actual articles of faith of of our our belief system." Are not in line with the scriptures, and so from the Synod of Dort came the five points of Calvinism, as we would know them, fully explained and so I would recommend that you actually um, go online and you can find the the Synod of Dort. the canons of Dort is what came from the Synod of Dort, and really the canons of dort clearly articulate what the five points of Calvinism truly are. And there's a really great book by a a professor at um, California Baptist University, named Matthew Barrett, and he's written a book called The Grace of Godliness, An Introduction to Doctrine and Piety in the Canons of Dort. And what he's done is he's taken um, each of the five canons, each of the five points of Calvinism that came out of the Canons of Dort, and he explains them and talks about how these help us in our worship and help us to grow in our faith. But what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to Articles 3 and 4 of the five points of Arminianism that the remonstrance counteracted against the Dutch church. And this was on the heels of what Jacob Arminius himself had espoused and taught. And so let me read these. The, the, the language is a little bit archaic because it's translated from Dutch, um, but these are an English translation of articles three and four of the remonstrance or of the five articles of Arminianism. Here's article three, that man has not saving grace himself, nor of the energy of his free will inasmuch as he in the state of apostasy and sin can of and by himself neither thing will nor do anything that is truly good, but that it is needful that he be born again of God in Christ through his Holy Spirit and renewed in understanding inclination or will and all his powers in order that he might rightly understand, think, will, and effect what is truly good according to the word of Christ. Now that's an important statement. Let me unpack that. What they are saying is that man left to himself in a state of sin is in such a condition that he is needful to be born of God and that he cannot by himself will or do anything to save himself. So if you trace historically Arminianism from its very beginnings they subscribe to what we as Calvinists would call total depravity. They believed that the fall of Adam has affected humans so deeply and so pervasively that we are totally incapacitated from doing any good. We are, we are dead in sin. We are unable to save ourselves. We need regeneration. We need to be born again. Our will is in bondage. They believe that. That's very important because Arminians do believe in total depravity as opposed to semi-Pelagians or Pelagians who believe. Pelagians basically believe that you're born a blank slate. That basically um, Pelagius was a monk that back in the 400s that argued against Augustine and basically his view was that that Adam's sin affected nobody in particular and basically Adam was a bad example and we shouldn't follow his example but his sin or his depravity was not inherited to his posterity and that humans have not inherited a sin nature there is no original sin we're born a blank slate and we can choose to sin or not sin based upon our environment but there's nothing inherently evil about us based upon Adam's sin that's Pelagianism that's been outright denied as a heresy um, in the church as a matter of In fact, if you go back in time and you look at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD, they outrightly condemned Pelagianism. Now, semi-Pelagianism is is more of a Roman Catholic view that basically says that um, there, there is... human weakness, you're born sinful, but you're not so sinful that you need overpowering grace to come and overcome your deadness. You can respond to God without any type of enabling grace because you have the capacity, you have the free will to do that. Uh, Let me just give you the Roman Catholic view of this, which is basically kind of scary because Vatican II basically said this um, statement that Salvation extends to all non-Catholic Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, atheists, who live by the light of God within. And here's the quote from Vatican II. Those who through no fault of their own do not know the gospel of Christ or His church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and move by grace, trying their actions to do His will as they know it, through the dictates of their own conscience, those too may achieve eternal salvation. That's a semi-Pelagian view that really leads to universalism. It's, it's the view of the Roman Catholic Church in Vatican II. Basically, they're saying that um, if you never heard Jesus Christ, if the gospel's never been presented to you, if you're a Muslim living in um, a closed country, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Hindu, um, it's not your own fault that, you, that you're not a Christian. And if you strive and seek by, by what God has given you with your conscience to do the best you can, then you will be saved. There, there's, there's a denial of original sin. There's a denial of total depravity. There's a denial that you need supernatural grace to overcome that. And so Arminians would say, listen, we're the first to stand up and say, we deny Pelagianism. We deny semi-Pelagianism. Now let's go on and read Article 4 of the Remonstrance. The disgrace of God is the beginning, continuance, and accomplishment of all good, even to this extent, that the regenerate man himself, here's the point, without prevenient or assisting awakening, following and cooperative grace, can neither think, will, nor do good, nor withstand any temptations to evil, so that all good deeds or movements that can be conceived must be ascribed to the grace of God in Christ. But as respects the mode of the operation of this grace, it is not irresistible, inasmuch it is written concerning many, that they have resisted the Holy Ghost and elsewhere in many places. Now, that's the key point. That's the, that's the huge difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. Both Calvinists and Arminians subscribe to total depravity. They describe that man is dead, that the, that the will is in bondage. Notice what Article 4 says. It says that, that man by himself without prevenient or assisting or awakening cooperative grace can neither think will nor new good or withstand any temptations to evil. So man in his state of sin has to have what is called prevenient grace, or enabling grace, or assisting grace. And so that's the main difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. It's really a, a, a hair's thread difference. Because here's the difference. An Arminian says all humans are born totally depraved, They're born in bondage. But God gives to all humans this prevenient grace, this enabling grace that enables them to cooperate when given the gospel so that the effects of the fall can be overcome through this prevenient grace and they will have enough grace to get them over the hump of their depravity so that in the end they can choose positively for Christ. And this prevenient grace is not irresistible. It's not a sovereign regenerating grace that overpowers the will, it can be resisted. It's it's an enabling grace. It's a helping grace. It's a needed grace. Without this grace, you would never come to Christ because you're dead in sin. But this enabling, prevenient grace is given to all people. And you can choose to cooperate with that grace or you can choose to reject that grace, but you absolutely need that grace in order to be saved. That's Arminianism. So they absolutely believe in total depravity, They believe that man is dead, they believe that the bondage is in will, but they would say that God gives prevenient grace to all people to enable them to cooperate with that grace. Now, the Calvinistic view takes it a little bit differently. It agrees with the Arminian up to a point. The Calvinist would say, yes, we're on board with you, Arminian. We are totally depraved. We are totally unable to save ourselves. We lack the capacity because our will is in bondage. We can do no good in and of ourselves to bring ourselves to salvation because we are dead, enslaved, hostile to God. But where we differ is that we do not believe that God gives provenient grace to all people that can be resisted, what we believe the Scriptures teaches is that God gives sovereign, regenerating grace only to His elect, and that grace will infallibly bring the elect to salvation in the sense that it it can't be resisted. God will save His elect. He will draw them infallibly. So it's very, very crucial that we allow Arminians to believe in total depravity And that they believe that man is incapable of saving himself and that there is the need for grace. And so it's very important that we allow Arminians to have that viewpoint and see the problem is is that uh, there's been a lot of labels. When when you just call somebody an Arminian, um, sometimes you may call them a semi-Pelagian or you may call them a Pelagian without truly understanding that a true Arminian believes that we are dead in sin now let me just give you some um, quotes from famous arminians over the the centuries that have confirmed this Um, john wesley obviously the most famous arminian since arminius himself Um, john wesley says this in the works of john wesley quote i believe that adam before his fall had such freedom of will that he might choose either good or evil But that since the fall, no child of man has a natural power to choose anything that is truly good. Yet I know, and who does not, that man still has freedom of will and things of indifferent nature. Now here's the the, the thing with Arminianism. They would say, and the way we would say it too, is that before the fall, Adam, in a state of innocence, a state of uprightness in the garden, had the power of choice to be able to choose positively or negatively based upon God's command. He had the the power of contrary choice or contra-causal choice, if you will, that Leighton Flowers uses. But since the fall, since he's plunged all humanity into a state of condemnation, in a state of bondage to his will, to to, to the will of sin, no man now, post-fall, has that ability And so John Wesley himself, the famous Arminian, says, No child of man since the fall has a natural power to choose anything that is truly good. And so with that theology, which we would hold to, Wesley said the way to overcome that the way to have that natural power restored to enable you to choose is prevenient grace. God must first come with you and give you grace to enable you to get back to that state that Adam was in the garden where he had the power of contra-causal free will. And that's really what prevenient grace does. It it takes you back to where Adam was pre-fall and gives you that grace to be able to do that. And so that's how um, Wesley... Um, argued for um, prevenient grace against total depravity. He would also say this. According to Wesley, there is a measure of free will supernaturally restored to every man. There is a measure of free will supernaturally restored to every man. That's the definition of prevenient grace. That's Wesley's definition. That... The free will was not there because of the fall and so that free will has to be supernaturally restored and that's restored through provenient grace given to all people with which they can cooperate with it or they can resist it. Henry Thiessen is an Arminian scholar. In his lectures in systematic theology, he says this, Since mankind is hopelessly dead in trespasses and sins and can do nothing to obtain salvation, God graciously restores all men sufficient ability to make a choice in the matter of submission to Him. In His foreknowledge, He perceives what each one will do with this restored ability and elects men to salvation in harmony with His knowledge of their choice of Him. Now that's a classic statement of Arminianism right there in a nutshell. He is affirming prevenient grace and the the conditional foreknowledge view in one sentence. But notice what he says. Listen to what this Arminian says. Since mankind is hopelessly dead in trespasses and sins and can do nothing to obtain salvation, we as Calvinists would agree wholeheartedly with that statement. Yes, amen. Mankind is hopelessly dead in trespasses. He cannot do anything to obtain salvation. But notice that the prevenient grace Arminian answers this. God graciously restores all men Sufficient ability to make a choice in the matter—that's prevenient grace. God overcomes that deadness. God overcomes that um, bondage to sin, and He restores all men sufficient ability to be able to cooperate with that grace to bring themselves to uh, to, to faith by choosing Christ for salvation. Okay, so again, Jacob Arminius, John Wesley, Henry Thiessen, all. Famous Armenian scholars and pastors and leaders have been very supportive of the doctrine of total depravity, that the, that the will is in bondage to sin, and that there is a need for a prevenient work of grace to come in the life of a sinner. Thomas Oden is probably um, the most famous contemporary theologian, um, Armenian theologian, who has articulated this Wesleyan-Armenian view of prevenient grace. And listen to what Odin writes in his works. He says this in his book, Transforming Grace. Insofar as grace precedes and prepares free will, it is called prevenient. Insofar as grace accompanies and enables human willing to work with divine willing, it is called cooperating grace. Notice the definition that he uses there. It's a grace that precedes, so it has to come before. That's what prevenient means. And it prepares a person to be able to have the free will to cooperate with it. So he would say prevenient grace is a cooperating grace. Again, it's not an overcoming grace. It's not a sovereign regenerating grace the way we believe it that says when God decides to save you, he's going to bring you all the way. He's going to sovereignly call you. He's going to effectually call you. He's going to regenerate you. He's going to bring you all the way to salvation if you're one of his elect. The of view would say, no, it's a preparatory grace. It's a prevenient grace, it's a necessary grace, but it's a cooperating grace. It gets you to the point where you can have the deadness of sin overcome, but you have to cooperate. You're the final decision maker of whether you're going to accept that cooperating grace and trust Christ for salvation. It can be resisted. And this is what else he says. Actual grace both removes the obstacles to salvation and enables the will to act in a salutary way. Grace works negatively to remedy the infirmity resulting from sin and positively to elevate the soul to salutary acts so that the soul may be enabled to receive God's own justifying action manifest on the cross and persevere in this reception. That's just a lot of language there basically saying that Provenient grace is necessary to remove the obstacles to salvation. What are the obstacles to salvation? The obstacles to salvation are deadness and sin, bondage of the will, total depravity, total inability. Again, Arminians are affirming this. So we need to be very careful when we are talking about our Arminian brothers and sisters that are true Arminians. Not confused Arminians, not inconsistent Arminians, but true Arminians that hold true to um, the remonstrance and to Wesley and to um, the, the traditional teachings of Arminianism, they do believe in total depravity. They do believe in original sin, but they just believe that this antecedent or this sufficient grace, this cooperating grace, it is effective for every single person, and and every single person gets that, and they can choose to cooperate with it or reject it. Now, another famous modern day Armenian is, is Roger Olson. He's a Baptist. Um, he teaches at Truett Seminary in Texas. Um, he has been actually pretty um, vocal against the traditional non-Calvinist Southern Baptist view. ...of depravity because basically he says, listen, um, Calvinists and Arminians are on the same page when it comes to depravity, when it comes to man's inability... And the Southern Baptist non-Calvinist traditionalists, which Leighton flowers would fall, fall in that camp, they've gotten this wrong. They're, they're actually moving away from this whole idea of total inability. And again, the guys on the Bible thumping wingnut are correct in saying that the linchpin of Calvinistic theology is total depravity. But I would say this. It's interesting because both Arminians and Calvinists come to the scriptures and realize it's there. They can't escape it. And so when an Arminians are going to look at the same scriptures that Calvinists is going to look at, and they're going to say, listen, we've got to deal with this. It talks about the bondage of the will. It talks about being dead in sin. It talks about being enslaved. It talks about being hostile against God. We, we've got to deal with this problem. And so both Arminians and Calvinists come to the text and say, we see the same problem. We see the same issue. Now, their answer to how it's overcome is different Uh, again a hair's breadth difference again the arminian says the way we deal with it is prevenient grace given to everybody the calvinist says no it's sovereign regeneration given only to the elect but both the calvinist and the arminian come to the same conclusion about the deadness of man whereas the non-traditionalist i mean the non-calvinist traditionalist southern baptist does not see total inability as being taught by the scriptures and roger olson he said listen uh, you you i'm a baptist he's saying and you you non-calvinist traditionalist southern Baptists are, are being inconsistent you're not in an arminian camp you're not in a calvinist camp you're actually and he would say you're actually in a semi-pelagian camp and he's he's making that label i'm not sure if that's a valid label or not because others like adam harwood have written saying no we're not semi-pelagian um, and so what, what he says here, and it's interesting, he's written a book called um, Arminian Theology, Myths and Realities, Arminius and His Faithful Followers. And what he's done in this book is he's really tried to um, counteract a lot of the caricatures that have been um, pointed against Arminians and to say, listen, you guys out there in the evangelical world really are misrepresenting us. Let me write a book and tell you what we actually believe historically. And so Let me give you a quote. This was from an interview um, with Modern Reformation, the guys, Mike Horton and the guys at the White Horse Inn, where he had an interview with um, Roger Olson. And this is from that interview. And let me give you the the statement from Roger Olson on his book, why he wrote the book. He says, quote, The whole point of my book is to distinguish between those, between semi-Pelagianism and Arminianism. And I agree with critics who say that American evangelical Christianity is by and large semi pelagian in the sense that they believe we take the initiative. I call it the theology of touched by an angel. In that TV show, many times the angels would say to people, all you have to do is reach out toward God, and then he'll come down and reach out toward you. And there are songs, of course, that say much the same thing. And that's not Arminianism. Arminianism has always stressed and emphasized the initiative of God by prevenient grace. So he clarifies that. Whole issue, and so I think it's important for us to make sure that if we are going to label other people or call other people certain things, that we really understand historically from scholarship, from history, from source documents, from the Remonstrance, from John Wesley, what an Arminian truly believes. And yes, I would agree with the Bible thumping wingnut that if you do take um, Arminianism to an extreme it does lead to open theism. But you have to realize that, um, and you can go back to a former podcast that I did where I talked about the two ditches of of hyper-Calvinism and open theism, but I gave some quotes on that podcast that even Jacob Arminius Arminius himself denied open theism. It wasn't obviously called open theism back then. And and also Thomas Oden has denied open theism. And So two of the greatest um, original Arminian scholar, Jacob Arminius himself, and then Thomas Odin of modern day have rejected um, open theism. So I think think we need to be careful when we say things like all Arminians deny total depravity or all Arminians do not believe that God's grace save you or all Arminians are going to eventually end up as open theist. We need to be careful when we say that. And we also need to be careful when we say you know, Leighton Flowers is an Arminian because he'd say, no, I'm not. I'm a traditional non-Calvinist Southern Baptist. I'm not an Arminian Arminian, and I'm not a Calvinist. I'm in a different different category. And that's where I think it's hard sometimes for us as Calvinists, and I've said this to Leighton on his program and and I've mentioned it a few times to others, is that sometimes because the non-Calvinist traditional Southern Baptist viewpoint is weak, it's inconsistent. It hasn't caught a lot of traction. They really haven't clearly articulated what they believe. They've tried to with the um, traditionalist statement. Um, some, some seminary professors have tried to articulate this. Adam Harwood um, has done that. Layton Flowers has done that. Um, Eric Hankins and others um, who've tried to articulate that. And historically, it's it's fairly new within church history. Those of us that are Calvinist um, really have a hard time pinpointing what what are they actually saying, what do they actually believe? Because it sounds Arminian to us, and so we automatically say, "Well, those non-Calvinist traditionalist Southern Baptists—they're they're obviously Arminian," and they would deny that and say, "No, we're not." And I would say they're not Arminian because if you look at their doctrine, they do not believe in the the foreknowledge view of election. They would have a differing view on prevenient grace than an Arminian. And so I think it's very important when we engage in dialogue, when we interact with people on blogs, on Facebook, on Twitter, when we listen to podcasts, that, that we need to be very careful historically, that we don't just... Um, launch labels or straw men against people and not truly understand their viewpoint. And that's really what I've tried to do with Leighton Flowers by going on his program is asking him some very pointy questions and say, listen, what is it that you believe? Because I'll be honest with you, when, when I listen to Leighton Flowers, and sometimes when I talk with him, I, I really can't, I really have no idea where he's getting his ideas from the text. Um, and so it, it is somewhat confusing, and there's a lot of feedback I've gotten from listeners and others that are saying, I can't really track uh, the, 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 the thought process of where that viewpoint is coming from. And so I think it's important that we allow other people to have a hearing and that we not immediately make judgments as far as labels. Um, You you can get five Calvinists in a room together and they can all um, say they're Calvinists, but they may disagree on some, some minor points of theology especially when it comes to covenant theology, when it comes to paedo-baptism versus credo-baptism, when it comes to the nature of the church and the polity of the church, and maybe even how it comes to the nature of uh, the atonement, whether they believe in, in particular redemption, limited atonement, or they, they believe in an unlimited atonement. So, so we just have to be careful that we don't automatically label somebody, we don't automatically judge somebody, but we listen, and we listen to their viewpoint, and we allow them to speak, and that we take into account the historical precedent that's gone before us as far as what an actual viewpoint has been historically in the life of the church. And so I know that this has been a shorter podcast, and it hasn't dived into the the biblical text as much, but I felt like just in listening to the Bible-thumping wingnut and listening to Leighton Flowers, interacting with other podcasts I listened to, like The Dividing Line with James White, um, pulpit and pen that, you know, all of us are probably listening to a lot of the same podcast and we're, we're trying to decipher these things and, and we see people bantering back and forth. Um, I think it's important to step back and say, let's just stop. Let's take a historical look um, I do teach church history at Colorado Christian University, and so uh, I, I do understand these things. I also teach systematic theology and understand these things, and, and I'm also a pastor and, and dealing with these things with the text, and, and, I, and I've had conversations with people on all, all different sides, and I think it's important for us as Christians to listen to what other people are saying. We can wholeheartedly disagree with them, but I think it's important to give them a hearing and to make sure that we actually don't throw a label on them that, that's unfair that, that, and you wouldn't want that to be done to you. You would want to be able to have the opportunity to share what you believe and what you confess and what you hold to. And so I really appreciate this. If you could um, do me a favor, like I, I ask most podcasts, I really want to get your feedback. And so if you could go on iTunes and give us a rating and review, or if you want to go to seancole.net and go to my website, you can interact with me there through uh, my email. You can um, get me on Twitter I, my Twitter is um, SD Cole, SD Cole. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on our church's web- website, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. Um, there's all different ways to interact, and I'd love to answer your questions. I'd love to um, pray with you. I'd love to find out what things that you're dealing with or struggling with or questions you may have because we want this podcast to be a benefit to our listeners and to help you understand. Uh, the truths of Christianity, and that's why the podcast is called Understanding Christianity. Again, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. Have a great day in the Lord, and until next time, may the Lord cause His face to shine upon you, may He bless you and keep you. Have a great day.